Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here this week to talk about two very exciting uh, football matches, one of which involves Tottenham Hotspur. But before we get to uh, my lovely co-host, we I just want to remind everyone, please follow us on our Twitter account, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We're good boys. We deserve it. Uh, you know, it's a feel-good time for Spurs fans this week. So, yeah. Um, why don't you go there and leave us a five-star review while you're basking in the glow of Antonio Conte's Tottenham. Uh, yes, so this week I am joined once again by uh, the foremost Olympic skier of South Florida. It is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how, how are you feeling after this week's very, very exciting um, Spurs games and WrestleMania? Uh, I feel great, uh, honestly. Uh, you know, I was a little confused in the intro about if I'd missed a Spurs game to talk about, <laughs> and then I realized that we were talking about Arsenal's humbling defeat uh, at the hands of Crystal Palace, uh, where their their former player, Patrick Vieira, showed them what a fraud Mikel Arteta is. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about, you know, both those games and um, and, and WrestleMania, too. We can We can just do it all. We could just we could just talk. Ben's not here this week. He he just he was flying back from Montreal today, so he's not able to join us. Um, but you know uh, we could. He's not here, so we could just talk about wrestling for like fifty minutes. You know, I think our listeners would definitely not find that off putting. Yeah, we could do that. We could uh, slander the state of Georgia, um, the legal question. Uh, that would that would hit a little close to home, I think. But you know, we could do it. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel any type of way about lawyers. So we, we could. We could. Like, we could slander his homeland of New Jersey. Yep, the Yankees, which he's yeah, somehow which he's weirdly a, a fan of, which he's a diehard fan of, who definitely keeps up with them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, we won't do any of that because we're not mean, um, or at least that would take more effort than I think either of us is willing to expend. Um, so it. instead, why don't we talk about Tottenham's extremely convincing five to one victory against Newcastle United? This was, I don't know, Spurs seem to really be clicking into another gear here. Uh, I mean, this was very comprehensive. Maybe not the entire match, certainly the second half. I thought, I mean, I think you could really see, uh, let let me put it this way. I think managers are generally lying during press conferences, but Conte's talked a lot about how, like, he understands the team better and the team is understanding him better. And I think you can actually see that on the pitch. I think they're getting it in a way they weren't necessarily getting it earlier in the year. And it's really impressive to watch. I mean, this was... I mean, we were talking about it a little bit before we hit record, Brian. But, I mean, easily, I think the most impressive Spurs offensive performance since, like, the peak Pochettino era. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm getting a little carried away. But I, I just thought we dominated them in a way that was... Even even if Newcastle isn't a great team, very impressive. Yeah, I think I think the thing we said before before the show, like the run we're on in terms of just goal scoring, um, kind of since the Burnley loss is is sort of you know unprecedented in terms of the, since the peak Pochettino era. But I I agree with you. I think I think this match was comprehensive in terms of just just outright dominance and. And I think even in the first half where up going into halftime tied at one, we were still the better team. Like, I, I, there's, you know, Newcastle wasn't in that match, uh, you know, and, and they went ahead um, off the free kick and it felt undeserved. And so, like, the Spurs fan in you just, like, immediately goes... Uh, is this uh, is this how we're gonna lose this? Like, are we gonna be able to come back? But then, you know, to go down the other end and score, what, like three, four minutes later, 
um, you know, I, it 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 made you feel like, oh, okay, that was a blip, like back to kind of business as usual in terms of what we were what we were dealing with, and then and then the second half came at, and we just beat the brakes off them. I mean, I think that was one of the things I thought that was really interesting about this game was, like you said, it started like a lot of our games have started. We're like, okay, we're the better team, but it's not really clicking. You know, Newcastle's not really doing much, but, you know, they're holding on. And, you know, again, and I think it always felt a little bit more like Spurs didn't. Like, Spurs weren't clicking as opposed to Newcastle was doing anything particularly well. And like you said, that goal was against the run of play. But, you know, it was, it was just, it was interesting because I really, it really felt to me like Spurs started turning the screws almost as, as soon as Newcastle scored that goal. And, I mean, I think at halftime in particular, whatever sort of issues they were having with their fullbacks, which... You know, admittedly, you know, we were playing with Doherty on the left and uh, Emerson Royale in his first appearance, or first start since February on the right. You know, it, it wasn't bad in the first half, but you could tell there was some, like, you know, they were having trouble settling in. And then after they came out of halftime, I mean, you know, I, I guess Newcastle came out of their shell a little bit more than I would have expected, but they weren't, like, being super adventurous. And we just, I mean, we just annihilated them. We, I mean, we were tearing them apart. We were breaking their lines. It was just... I mean, it was exactly the kind of stuff you want to see a Conte team do, and it was just really, really impressive to watch. And I think the fullbacks deserve a lot of credit. I mean, we've given Doherty some of his some of his flowers over the last few weeks because um, he has been a better player. But I thought even Emerson, even at their worst, I don't think Emerson was like a drawback in this match. I mean, he was very solid defensively, and I think he deserves a little bit of credit too because I think it was a team effort in this regard. But I mean, they were giving, you know. You know, it's fought at Maximilian. Uh, I mean, I, I say ASM so much on, but I'm writing it out. I'm not actually sure what to call him on here. But they, I mean, they were giving him the business all match. And I mean, clearly, like an organized strategy, and it worked really well. And Everson was a big part of that. Well, and that's the thing. I think St. Maximum, uh, not Maximum, uh, Maxim, uh, whatever, ASM. Uh, <laughs> it, you know what? It's not worth it. Why make ourselves look dumber than we You're right. You're absolutely um, right. The amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think he was, he, he had the better of Spurs and Emerson and, and to a lesser extent, um, Romero in probably the first 10 minutes. And then just really after that, like you said, Emerson kind of settled into things and it was funny to kind of watch Romero defend ASM because there's a moment at one point in the second half where ASM has the ball Romero knows that his only move is to like cut inside. And so like he does and Romero just stands there, pokes the ball away and starts the counter. And it's just like, okay, like, um, you know, uh, it, it was, it was an interesting match. Um, I think like you said, Greg, I think Newcastle trying to play football a little bit was part of what led to the big second half I mean, we've seen this in the West Ham match and the Everton match. When teams think they can play football with us and they come out of their shell, we pressure them, they're out of position, and our, there is, uh, there's no team in the league that counters better than us. Like, I, I don't think Liverpool, I don't think... I just, uh, you know, no one does a counterattack better than Spurs. And Antonio Conte's version of that counterattack is so, so good because it's now not just, you know, only Kane and Son going forward. It is now everybody bombing forward and getting in the box and everybody kind of knowing where the other person is. And it's just it's just so beautiful to watch. Well, and I think that counterattack works. I mean, there's a lot of reason that counterattack works. I think I think a lot of players on the Spurs deserve credit for this. But I, you know, I think we're a bit of a broken record on this podcast because we love him so much. But Kulishevsky, I, I think he solves so many problems on Tottenham. I think he is, in a way that, you know, I mean, we complained a lot about Emerson and what we sort of do on the right side of our attacking van. I feel like, especially over the last year or so, I think we've complained about it a lot. But at the same time, like, 
I don't think I realized just like how much we needed a solution there. But I mean, Kulishevsky's perfect. I mean, he does. Like I, I've read or heard Spurs fans sort of comparing him to Erickson, and I don't think that's a elegant comparison. But in in the way that he does, like sort of connect things, even while sort of staying on the right. I mean, he does so much over there, and he's he's so good with the ball. His vision's so good. He's been here for like three months, two months, whatever it's been, and he's already like his interaction with Kane and Son is so good. I mean that that run he made in the pat and the cross for Son's goal was so good. I mean, it's just like I feel like him and Bentoncore, and I'm sure there's also a level of just like the squad getting even more adjusted to Conte, but like. So many of those problems we were having around the end of last year and the new year have been solved by those two players getting integrated into our team because they just do the things that we were crying out for. And I think Kulishevsky in particular is just, I mean, he's so good. He's so, so good. And I think I'm sort of obsessed with that thing Ben talked about when we first bought him, which was like getting really in on like, oh, let's buy some post-hype players. Like, you know, which is what we do with Erickson back in the day. Like, you know, it was, he kind of cooled off a little bit from that initial round of hype. And, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's funny, cool. Like, Juve fans were celebrating getting rid of these guys. And, you know, I mean, they've been they've been revelations for us. And I don't know if that's because, like, Allegri and Pirlo are, like, fraud managers. And, you know, I don't know what was going on at Juventus. But, like, I mean, they've been fantastic for us. Yeah, and I think you really hit on like most of the things that Kulisovsky does really well. I think my favorite part of him is just like the level of effort you get out of him, like all the time, you know, tracking back, um, you know, uh, pressing high up the pitch. Like he, look, he, he doesn't have the pace of Lucas, but somehow he is more, uh, more of an effective counterattacker. Like, you know, Imagine that counterattack that leads to the the sun goal, the third goal, with Lucas running down the right hand side. Like that that person making that run is very dangerous. But like, are you worried about the end product in the same way that you're worried about you know that that in the same way that if you're Newcastle, you're having to guard against whatever it is that Kulisevsky is going to do. Like I, you're just not. But for me, it's it's not the effort. The effort's great, but, like, that's never been the problem with Lucas. Like, Lucas is a guy who leaves it all out there for us. I mean, what... Sure. What I like is the way he just interacts with everybody else on the team. Like, he just... He understands when to pass, when to, you know, when to, like, take his own shots. I mean, he understands when he needs to slip into defense. It's just, like, right. the interact... Like, just the way he's just sort of interacts with everybody else he plays with. Because... Again, I don't want to, I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons Spurs fans tend to bag on Lucas a little bit. But at the same time, like, Lucas at his best is a bit of a solo act. I mean, Lucas is going to get the ball, dribble three guys, and, like, take a great shot or something. I mean, Lucas isn't generally, I mean, I, I my friend was making a joke with me that, like, his assist for Bergvine this weekend was absolutely, like, a dribble that he got cut off from. And 100%. Bergvine, yeah, 100%. yeah, like... He's just generally, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's value to players like that, but it's just, you know, like Kulishevsky's ability just to like slot into the attack, slot into defense, like the way he just has been able to interact with everyone has just made such a difference in our team, and it's really great to watch. And this game was another example. Like I think he made that. I mean, Son did a good job taking his goal, but like I mean, just driving the cross that cross like on the carpet like that was so good. I mean, he made that goal. It was. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, while we're also praising Kulisevsky, Harry Kane's role in kind of everything can't really go understated. I, I mean, he was involved in like in some way in the buildup for almost every goal. Uh, the exception of what the corner kick that Davis scored and maybe and then the Bergvine goal maybe I think, um, but you know he's he was everywhere and, and you know he didn't score again and you know obviously I think a lot of us would prefer if he was getting on the end of some of these chances but like just passing to Son is incredible. 
like uh, you know he put some like just just they drop out of the sky right onto Sun's foot and I I don't know too many other midfielders in the world that that can do that let alone players that are the best striker in football like I, I I think what Kane has done over the last three or four years is enormously impressive. Like, I mean, he play he plays like like De Bruyne sometimes. I mean, the way he just I mean, he can shoot, he can pass, he can, he can move off the ball. I mean, he really does everything. And 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 the fact that he's sort of grown. I mean, you know, because there's we, we talk about like Ronaldo in his later career, how like at you know at Real Madrid, how he was sort of like learning, like okay, I can't run like I used to, so I got to play a little differently. And the way that Kane has adjusted his game to just like it's it's it's, it's very strange because he runs less, but he does more um, in a way that you know, like I mean, as a creator, he's incredible, and you know, and I think like actually. That's another thing that Kulishevsky has really helped Kane with. Another thing Kulishevsky has really added to the team is like by having sort of two attackers on either side of him who can not only get up and be dangerous, but especially in Kulishevsky's case, like hold up the ball, play the ball, like do stuff when he gets up there. You know, it gives Kane time. Like, I'm going to play the killer pass and get it out to the flanks or get it up the field. And now I have, because they could do stuff, either I'm creating for them or they're giving me time to get up the field and get in the box. I, mean, I was very, I mean, you know, and Kane, I don't think handled himself well last year. And, you know, there's still like, I'll probably never feel the same about him that I felt before. But I very much, I, I know I've said this on this podcast before, but I, this game was another example of this. I very much come around to like, you, you find a way to keep Harry Kane. You just ride until the wheels come off. Like, I mean, you know, getting Lautaro would be great. Getting Isaac would be great. You know, I mean, we're not getting any forward who can do this. And, I mean, one day we're going to have to live without Harry Kane one way or another. But, I mean, it's just, God, he's so good. And he does so much. And, I mean, think about all the playmaking he was making in this game. That's, like, the same guy who was, like, you know, just trucking Kyle Walker to, like, put a header in the box for a stoppage time winner against City. He's just, I mean, he really is, I think, the most complete striker in the world. I mean, he's so good. Yeah, I mean the the pass to release um, Kulisevsky for the Doherty goal is so good. The pass that he gives to to Son that he almost winds up scoring so good. Like I, I just every time he picks up the ball in midfield, it's it's like he's looking for that home run pass. And and sometimes that's bad. Like we've, we've, we've talked about it on the podcast before sometimes where I'm just like, ah, I wish you just kind of like recycle possession and then you get up into the attack. Um, but like, you know, a lot of the times it really works out well. And, and you know, the, he has this for the Doherty goal and I, I'm, 98% sure that he's trying to pick out Sun there and yeah, just a same. little bit or hits it. But if you told me that he saw Doherty making that run and that that cross was intended for Doherty, I'd believe you. Like, you know, I, if he if he gave it in, it's like, no, you know, I saw Sonny, but I was definitely, that was a far post. I'd be like, yeah, of course it was. Um, like Because he, he can just, he can put it wherever he wants it. And that was always something he could do, you know, finishing. And we talked about, you know, what a good finisher he was and, you know, how he'd done all this work to make himself this good finisher and how, you know, his ability to sort his feet out quickly and turn quickly and get a shot off with, like, zero backlift or whatever was, like, such a skill. And I just don't know when or how or where he acquired, like, this skill to hit these passes while also simultaneously being unable to take a free kick. <laughs> the free kick thing is like, I think there's so few people who are actually are good at free kicks. I'm, I mean, whatever that, that is what it is. I, no, I, don't, I don't honestly don't care, but I'm just, it's, it's a hilarious thing that the man can shoot amazingly and can pass like this. And then when the ball is not moving, he just cannot, make it do anything. But I think that's something about Kane that I think we underrate because Kane, I mean, quite frankly, whenever he's interviewed, he sounds a little stupid. And I think also we're used to the cliches of like, oh, this guy's an animal on the training pitch. Like he works 
all the time. And, like, what does that generally mean? Like, and I, I don't mean this as a negative, but, like, that generally means, like, oh, David Beckham is, like, on the training pitch, like, really honing his craft. He's, like, learning how to put crosses in or long passes, and he's getting, like, pinpoint with that. Or, you know, like, Christian Eriksen just is working on, you know, free kicks or whatever. And I think David what we do Bentley kicking balls into garbage cans. Exactly. But I think what we Stuart don't... Downing, who was that? Yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Downing, yeah. Um, but I think what we don't think about is, like, what Kane has really done, honestly, throughout his whole career, and it's kind of... He was so good initially, I think it's easy to sort of overlook it. I mean, he's really grown as a footballer throughout his career in a way that, you know, certainly in, in the later stages of career, I think it's pretty rare. And it's kind of... I mean, it's not kind of... It's incredibly impressive. And, you know, I mean, the way... And I don't know if that's born out of, like, he's just a football obsessive who just keeps working, or just, like, he got to a point where, like, no one else on Spurs was doing it, so he's going to do it himself. I mean, maybe it's Mourinho. Maybe, I mean, maybe he took that from him. But, like, I mean, I think there is, I've talked about that on here before, like, there is something, I think, relatable about, like, the way he talks about Conte, which is, like, you know, I think he's a guy who loves his football, and, like, a guy like Conte comes in here, or Pochettino before that, like, and talks about football in a certain way that, like, excites and stimulates him and you know he really takes it to heart as opposed to just like oh I'm gonna get good at my goal scoring in a way that I you know I again I don't think I'm sure if we sat here and really thought about it we could think of other players who have expanded their game in kind of similar ways I, I can't think of a guy especially a guy who's like you know like Harry Kane's not some like midfielder who's like a middle you know a middling midfielder who has to like find reasons for teams to keep paying him like Harry Kane was an elite finisher and even if, like, he had to work on his pace, like, he always was going to be a great striker. And now he's, you know, he's just added so much to his locker in a way that he didn't necessarily have to. That it's, you know, I mean, again, I keep saying it, it's really impressive. And I think we take it for granted. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was so good. I I mean, I think we could just basically run through the team sheet and everybody everybody had a really good game i guess the exception might be larice who was i mean didn't have a lot to do and then when he did didn't do a great job um i think we'll but, say like we'll, we'll we'll at least give ben the dignity of if, if we're going to talk about larice we'll let we'll let ben do it and i told you so but i i want to focus on doherty because we've talked about him a little bit I, I don't know about you maybe i'm just like high off of like the great results the, you know this weekend and then again again today at Selhurst park but uh, you know, I'm convincing myself. I still think we need to go buy another wing back. I, I don't think Emerson's a long-term solution if we're going to play like this. I mean, if we're going to fire Conte in the summer, maybe. Or if Conte's going to quit, rather. Maybe you do keep Emerson. But um, if Conte's going to be here next year, I think we need to buy another wing back. But I'm kind of fine. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm fine with Doherty being, like, one of our right wing backs. Because, I mean, he's really, he's really responded well to Conte. And I think part of that is probably he's getting further away from COVID and gotten himself in better shape. I mean, he talked today about how he's adjusted his diet under Conte because you just don't want to give any give him an excuse. But, um, you know, I think he looks thinner, and you can tell. And I would suspect there's an element of him recovering from COVID involved in all this. But, you know, he's also being played as a wingback for, like, the first time since he, we bought him. And, man, I don't know. Like, I'm sure he'll do some dumb thing that makes me want to ship him out in, like, another week or two. But, like, you look at how he's played this year, it's like, Man, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm kind of fine. Like, we got enough work to do without buying two wingbacks on the right. I'm fine keeping him around at this point. And maybe I'm a fool for saying that, but I'm, I'm fine with it. No, I, I look, I, I disagree to the extent that, like, I am fine with him being, like, our first choice right back. If you're telling me that he he's a rotational piece and whatever and he plays some, you know, I guess that's fine. I think he's. I think all of our wingbacks are the most easily improved upon in the team, um, and so like to not buy two wingbacks, or seems probably like a missed opportunity. Um, but just speaking about Doherty and his performances, you know, recently and in this game specifically, I think you're right. He has significantly improved. He's playing in a position and in a role that he is comfortable with. He. Um, I think the thing you have to accept with Doherty and I think that Conte has done a good job with is you just have to understand that he is not what most people think about when they think about a wing back in terms of he's not getting up and down the pitch with his pace. He's not beating people off the dribble. 
he's not whipping in crosses. Like what he is doing is stepping inside, making passes, or he's showing up at the back corner to finish off attacking moves. And, you know, I he, he does a good enough job of that, and we have now a good enough and solid enough back line um, that we're kind of covering for all his other deficiencies. And, and you know, we have a midfield that's working. Um, and, and so, you know, him not being the fastest or him not getting up and down and providing as much width is, is, is fine. And I actually kind of liked him on the left. Um, and, and I think they talked about this a little bit on the extra inch this week is, you know, when he's on the right and he's crossing, he's, you know, he's hitting move and not really getting his head up and, and not really looking at where he's delivering the ball to. But on the left, because he has to take the extra touch to bring it back onto his right foot, he's then getting his head up and, and, and doing a better job with the delivery. And and I thought I thought all of the, the crosses that he delivered in this game were good. I thought, you know, him I think I think it's him that finds Emerson for for the goal. I think that's a yep. that's a really good ball. Um, you know, it's, it's probably my favorite goal of the ones we scored. Oh, it's definitely like the ugliest. Yeah. Okay. Just All right. As like long as we're clear. Every, yeah. Like, no, it's not like the, the coolest or the most impressive one. It's just because like Emerson is getting just absolutely manhandled and still just manages to ugly touch it into the corner. Like, it's, I love it. Um, and actually my favorite like shot of the game is Bergvine's like over the shoulder volley that just like barely missed. Um, <laughs> if, if that had gone in, I'd have lost my mind. Um, but you know, I, I think, uh, I, I think Doherty was really good and, you know, we gave him a lot of credit after what was it? The Everton match, um, where he had the, the assists and everything. And, you know, I, I think he's always kind of be going to be one of those guys that blows hot and cold and, like, I don't really trust him as an option against some of the better attacking wingers in the league. And, you know, I don't know that he adds, like, you know, I, I don't know that he adds a lot to the team. But in terms of just being a competent player that you can put out there and be comfortable getting a, a decent performance from him. And then occasionally, like, a really good performance like he had against Newcastle. I, I, I'm fine with that. Um, you know. I can't take anything away from him against in the Newcastle game. He was he was excellent, but also Newcastle didn't make him do anything. Well, I do think like, you see. You your... know what I mean? Like they didn't they didn't like force him. They didn't try to pin him back. They didn't make him play defense at all. They just kind of like left him alone. And but I think, and again, it's Newcastle. I don't want to get like carried away. Although I do think the team deserves. I mean, Newcastle has. Like, I think it's like they haven't given up more than one goal in a while. Uh, you know, they they've been a good defensive team, but I think that shows the sort of the value of Doherty in a lot of ways, which is like, you know, he's like, it's the value of any good attacking um, fullback. It's, he is, he is pitting them back. He is not allowing them to do certain things. He, you know, he keeps them honest in a way that, you know, a more, you know, and Emerson doesn't necessarily do that. Although I think Emerson played really well in this match. Um, You know, partially I would say that's because, you know, one of the reasons Emerson was good is like, they have a bit of a dangerous attack down that side of the field. And I thought he did a good job containing them. And, I think the interesting thing about Doherty left is, despite him being right-footed, he is still somehow better than both of our options on the left. I like, don't know. I'm, I'm still... You know, like, I like Sessegnon, and I like Reguillon, and... Um, or Regulon, however we're supposed to say it. Um, I, I like them both, but, like, between the two of them, there may be wing back like I just Sessegnon has like that old man game but then like doesn't have any of the like the finishing skills that Doherty does or or the stepping inside and making passes that Doherty does and and Regulon has all the pace but he has none of the end product and you know it's interesting because I I think Doherty over there is against bad teams is or, or, you know, teams that are worse than us is not the worst option in the world. Yeah, I, I think those two left backs you mentioned are very much works in progress under Conte. And that's, I think, with 
you know, because of Sessa John's injury record, that's disappointing. And because, you know, you just expect better out of Regulon given how he was at Sevilla. Um, and I think health has really screwed their ability up. But I understand I understand what you're saying. And, you know, Darty's in form right now. And that's, you know, he's taking advantage of it. And God bless him. You know, I think I think there's a good chance he's on this team next year. And, you know, you go back four months, none of us would have said that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, none of, none of us would have thought that was the case. And I don't think, you know, I don't think any of us would be bothered by that. If, if he's, like, you go by another, you know, you, you sort of swap out Emerson, who, you know, maybe that's a little harsh, but, you know, you get someone else in here and you keep, you know, you do that sort of like a, a Danny Rose, Ben Davies situation where, like, not sure yeah. who the starter is going to be, but why are you two figure it out? Like, you know, that's not the worst situation in the world to have next year. Yeah, I mean, but also if you told me that, like, Everton wanted to pay 30 million pounds for him, I wouldn't be like, oh, oh. please don't. Yeah, yes, I don't think Everton's going to be paying 30 million pounds for much uh, in, in, in the near future. But, yeah, it's I understand what you thing, mean. But, yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I don't know. It was a great match. I thought Spurs played really well. I think they're really coming on. I mean, they're they're offensively they're really impressive. I mean, their last you talked about it a little bit earlier, Brian, but like you know, our last five matches or so, it's it's five nil against Everton, two three lost to United. It's still two goals. Um, it was two nil, three one, five one. I mean, we're really putting the goals away right now, and. I mean, I don't know how this top four race is going to end, and I guess we'll get into this in a second, but, you know, you've got to feel good about how our offense is firing right now. And, you know, I mean, I mean I'm interested how we play a Villa team. It's largely been good, but coming off of two ugly games. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we got the offense sorted out after just an absolutely horrendous start to the season where – wasn't something like, you know, we had seven goals in seven games or something like like it was it was and and we had basically like ten shots on target. I'm probably you know exaggerating, but like it was it was not a, a prolific start to the season in terms of our goal scoring. And and Nuno did not look like he had in, any interest in, you know, letting us uh, kind of go at teams and and for Conte to kind of then come in and get us firing in this way is nuts I mean you know Everton are bad so like five against them is is maybe not that impressive and the four nil and the last Bielsa match is you know kind of the same but like you know we just we just have been absolutely just kicking teams ass and and you know again you know the 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 old attitudes of like spurs stuff seeps in and you know so if we were just kind of like scraping these matches like where it was just like 2-1 wins or you know we we'd be here like doubting ourselves and we'd be like yeah we're winning but like uh like we're not closing out these games well and like everything is like edge of your seat type stuff and like is Conte really having an impact but instead we're just blowing teams out and it's like yeah we're we're really good we are improving week on week you can see what Conte is doing and and it's great and I I, I think we're we're also really helped by the fact that we're um just playing every seven days yeah <laughs> uh, yeah that that really helps Conte's um, that, that's always really helped Conte's team. It, it's always helped Conte's teams, and I think in a year where he took over midseason and got two important additions in, in January, it probably helps even more. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you know, not to, you know, take anything away from uh, Aston Villa or, or, I don't know, any of the other teams we played down the stretch, but, like, the last eight games are pretty easy. Um, you know, I mean, we've got Liverpool, so that's the tough game. And then Arsenal, I guess. Um, but they're bad now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not getting that far, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, but you know, like, like, you know, Brighton haven't scored in however long. Leicester are, are, are garbage. You know, we close with Burnley and Norwich. Like, you know, it, I don't know. We, we could win the last eight. Why not? Well, I'll say this. I, I got a lot more hope today because, you know, we watched 
arsenal just get absolutely waxed by Crystal Palace. Um, my first thought when, when I was watching that game was like, do we play Palace the rest of the year? And thankfully, the answer <laughs> oh, is no. You do not have to do that. I mean, we they, already lost 3-0 at Selhurst Park. I think that's the thing. is like Arsenal just looked like this really steady team all year. And I'm, like, I don't know about you, but I was having flashbacks to those like, Arsenal teams that barely beat us out for fourth and like you know like the later stage Redknapp, AVB, even Pochettino's first year, the way they just ground out results for like the back half of the year and they weren't like super impressive. I think this Arsenal team is playing pretty well, but you know these aren't super impressive games and yet they just keep winning them. And I mean, you look at their last, you know, like we did, we talked about Spurs last five games. What are Arsenal's last five games? They won three two, two nil. Oh, they lost two to, um, by two to Liverpool, one one nil, and then they lost today by three. And like the thing about these games is like Arsenal don't have goal scorers right now, really. Uh, certainly not a striker, and they're just grinding these te- these games out largely through defense. Like they're playing really good defense right now. And you know, there's like I don't know about you, and maybe it's just kind of a Spurs fan as opposed to looking at this rationally. If I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, I mean, okay, you lose to Liverpool, like. Whatever, like good teams lose to Liverpool all the time, but you know they, they've had enough close calls where you just kind of wait for them to like. It's not even like oh they're bad. You just keep waiting for like a game to not go their way, especially because they're not scoring a lot. So there's not a huge margin for error here. And seeing that actually happen today was so, you know, so comforting to like know that like I I think. You know, I don't think there's any way we finish top four without beating Arsenal. I think that's got to happen. Um, or at least drawing with them, but probably beating them. Uh, I mean, we'll see. They've got they've got to play yeah, Chelsea. I mean, they've got to play us. I mean, I think they have... Who am I forgetting? They've got to play... Uh, there's one other, like, somebody tough, else. There's one other tough game they have to play. I can't remember who. But, you know, it's... West Ham, they have to play West Ham. Uh, and United, they have to play United. So, like, you know, those aren't gimmies. I mean, they could win them all, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, it's just, man, I don't know. It's It felt so good to watch a game just not go their way today. And, yeah. you know, I think that's the thing and about I Arsenal think- right now. They, when they get in a hole, that, like, that's that's it. Spurs have, like, won the most games from losing positions at the table this year. Or gotten the most points. I'm not sure exactly which it is. But, like, Arsenal, like, they're really good defensively, but, you know, when, when they have to start scoring goals, like, boy, where are they coming from, you know? And, you know, the fact that their game in hand is is the Chelsea game is helpful. I don't know. Unless, I don't unless... know. So there's a tweet going around Twitter today that, like, every Spurs fan is convinced that Chelsea's going to throw that game and screw us, which, given Chelsea's position, they probably can't afford to do. But, like, yeah, that thought definitely crossed my mind. No, sure, but you know they they lost to Brentford this weekend, and you know they uh, they probably can't afford to continue doing that. So just if, especially if Spurs and Arsenal are going to continue to play well, they 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 could find themselves in fifth if they drop too many points down the stretch. Um, but yeah, I I think this is going to be really interesting over the course of the next few games, just to. Um, see how how it plays out i i i have no i think you're right in that you know arsenal just don't have the goal scoring power to like if they get behind to to come back from stuff but i also or it's just hard it's harder than like yeah. they, they don't have the firepower we have <laughs> but but they also like you know they they should be playing in some games where they may not be going behind and you know we're going to be playing some teams that um, are, are are not going to try to play football with us. And and we have to be able to break down those teams. We're playing the last two matches. We're playing Burnley and Norwich. They're they're not going to try to play football with us. You know, well, they, they might not try to play at all, depending on how the rest of the season goes. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, like Burnley beat us once, like, you know, by just being bigger and stronger than us and like, you know, us not having an answer for that. So, um, you know, look, I'm, as we sit here today, I'm pretty optimistic about our chances for top four. Um, but you know, anything can happen. Like we, we just need to 
we need to keep momentum. I, I I think I talk all the time on the podcast about you know the importance of having you know these these good runs of form where you just put together results, and, and because like it, it just makes if you have a blip, like a a bad result, and it it makes it more tolerable. And, and so you know if we go into the Liverpool match or whatever, and we lose to Liverpool, but we've won everything before, and then we win the next game or two after, like. Losing to Liverpool then doesn't matter, um, and so it'll be interesting to see how how this team handles these these next eight matches. Yeah, I don't know how how real momentum is, but like it can't be great. Like if you're you know if you're, if you're in a tight race, like I, I think winning does feed on itself, and you know, and well, it's, I think I think momentum is. Definitely real because I mean, look at that that early what was it kind of like the December January Conte period where it's like win loss win loss win loss win loss win loss and how did that feel? That felt like shit. And you know, like how does it feel now where it's just been like win win win? Like like that's great. This is awesome. Like we're amazing now as opposed to we're amazing we're shit we're amazing we're shit we're amazing we're shit. Like you know it it makes for better podcast content when we mix it up a little bit. <laughs> oh, the momentum is totally real for this podcast. Like, it just makes it yeah, way yeah. more tolerable when we're whipping the shit out of teams every week. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, just generally speaking, like, I, I, I think I, I think I much prefer the, the whipping the shit out of people. Like, it's, it's good for my mental health. It is. It is. I, I don't know. Like, it's just so... Like, Spurs and Arsenal are both in this sort of position where if they can run the table like you know if either team could run the table they're probably in the champions league next year but it's incredibly hard like there's what eight games left something like that like i mean even if it used for us nine for arsenal yeah so even if you assume like even if you look at us like okay we got two games against real tough teams a couple against some middling teams and some bad ones but you know it's like you said it's a pretty good run and it's incredibly hard to like beat all those teams and like you know, not have a slip up, which is like, you know, I mean, you saw what happened to Arsenal today. They were in the driver's seat before today. I think technically, um, I mean, I guess if they win all the rest of their games, they're in too, but like, you know, like life got a lot easier for Tottenham today because Arsenal finally dropped one, like, which they haven't been doing lately. And yeah, man, it's just, oh, man, I'm just very excited to see Arsenal finally like choke on one. Cause it's, They've been very good lately, and it's really sucked to watch it. So, I missed the beginning of the season where they really, really sucked, and then, you know, I want to go back to that. It's kind of we weird thought, how we oh, both man. got it together. Yeah, it's it's very hard for me to like, you know, like Arteta could probably like win a Champions League, and like I'd still be like, ah, he's not that good a manager. Like it's just very hard for me to shake my impression of him as like a fraud. Maybe he still is. I don't know, but I still think he is probably. But you know, I I mean. He's got a really weird collection of players, and maybe he's doing a really good job with it, and he doesn't get enough credit, but I'm not going to give him any. Well, it's just such a weird team that he's built in such a strange way that it's like... And they weren't very good for a long time, so it's it's like, is this, it's like, is this what they are, the, or is this like, you know, is this just a, like, have they hit a nice run of form, and they're going to go back to what they are? I hope it's the latter. It's also... It's also still the weird same Arsenal problems they've had since, like, latter era Wenger, where it's like, what's your midfield? Who's your defensive midfield? Granite Xhaka? That's not going to work. Like, you know, I I don't know. Uh, I th- we're, we're talking too much about them, and we're going to jinx everything. And well, it's hard not to after like watching third. Palace just, like, demolish them today. But we'll see. Uh, we have a few questions from our listeners uh, that we wanted to get to. We haven't done that in a while. But um, let's start off with, I think he's a new listener to the podcast. He really hasn't uh, interacted with us, so I want to make sure we get his question in. Rito Wallabout asks, um... Is uh, Give Me a Ginger from Sweden a top five all-time Spurs song at this point? Uh, yes. I think the answer is clearly yes. Uh, I mean, we talked about this when the song first came out, but, like, I have never heard an ABBA song in my life. Um, so I don't appreciate whether it's a good song or not. Ben's, like, um, twitching somewhere. <laughs> he doesn't know why. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know a single ABBA song. I mean, it's a pretty funny song, even if you don't know ABBA. Like... No, that's and that's the thing. That's just like I, I just like I don't know the tune or the reference. So like, it's an okay song, but like, I don't get it. Like, 
The you know Spurs songs are like, I mean, we don't have very many good songs. Like, I mean, especially now that Deli and Erickson are gone. Like, I mean, we really don't have a lot. Like, they're all very simple songs. Either someone else's song. Yeah, I mean, the Deli song was the best song. It was. It was. But, alas. Um, so, yes, I think that would be it. I hope you keep listening, uh, Reno. Um, you know, nice to get a question from you. Um Big White Hart Lane asks, are we keeping Doherty and or Royale? We talked about this a little bit, but if you had to put a, like, just, just, what, where's your gut saying? Are we keeping Doherty? Yeah, I think of the two, Doherty would probably be the one that other teams have the least amount of interest in. I think Royale, if you, if you didn't want to keep him around because you weren't going to play a back four and use fullbacks, I think certain teams in Spain that would take him. Yeah, you I know, think you'll uh, get 15, 20 for him. Team, but somebody. Yeah, I, I think Royale gets a bad rap from Spurs fans, to be honest with you. but I think, you know, look, there was, the, there was the one game where he was just absolutely abysmal crossing, where whatever team it was, was it Watford maybe, just gave him all kinds of space to, like, cross, and he just couldn't for the life of him do anything with it. And then, like, everybody has tarred him with that same brush since then. Yep. And, you know, I think he's largely been, you know, good defensively, good, decent on the ball. Like, you know, when we when we bought him, like, I think you you'd seen him a lot because he played at Betis and you'd basically said, like, yeah, he's fine. Like, he's not flashy. He's not, um, you know, he's he's doesn't have a ton of pace or, or whatever. Like he did a lot of attacking under. Um, you know, the Batiste manager, and but, like, he wasn't amazing at it. So, like, I don't know. I think he's fine. I think, like you said, Spur, he gets a bad rap from Spurs fans, but, like, there's more of a market for him than there is for Doherty if we're going to offload somebody. Yeah, I think so. Um, Plus, Royale's, like, what, 20? He's really young. He's, like, 20. I mean, Royale's, like, 22 or something. Like, I mean, he's very young. And Doherty is, is 30. Nice. Yeah, so... Um, if Matt Doherty is a bad movie from decades ago that gets a remake and it's actually pretty good, then what movie is this? I would say Miami Vice. Didn't they already do a remake of Miami Vice? Yeah, exactly. Like, it was, you know, like, I don't know, like, he looks like a guy who would be in Miami, do shady things. You would probably know that better than me. I mean, I think beard really is what it is that, yeah, that's very much a Miami beard. I, I can't, well, and the haircut, too, like. He looks to me like that guy from, like, the latest... What's that, what's that TV show? In the, what are those TV shows in, like, uh, 50 Cent's, like, drug-dealing cinematic universe? That it, is it Power? Is that... Yes. Yeah, yeah, so there's, like, some version now out with, like, a white guy with, like, Doherty's haircut. Like, no beard, but, like, the same haircut. And that's all I can think of when I see Doherty on the pitch now. So, yeah, okay. I think it would be a nice addition. I, this isn't answering the question, but I think it would be a nice addition to 50 Cent's cinematic drug dealing universe so the drug dealing cinematic universe i mean the fact that even exists uh you know credit to 50 cent for making that happen uh <laughs> you know maybe maybe yeah I, I think that's as good an answer as we're gonna give on like um raleigh Go- gosling gosling uh wants to know what is the most outrageous thing conte has promised harry kane if he stays um oh man uh maybe he's promised that he will um get harry kane a a motorcycle to have in his locker so just so he can be like his brother um i don't know maybe that's not a big selling point for harry kane um man what else would be ridiculous he'll let harry kane specifically have ketchup um Not just like just like a bucket, just like a bucket of ketchup, just left on his front yeah. door, <laughs> like, just like a vat of you know with the pump on the top, like you know, no, 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 like, like, like a suite of the Super Bowl with with like yes. nothing, with like women just bringing him like as much ketchup and mayonnaise as he could handle. <laughs> Correct, yeah, like on silver platters and like goblets, like <laughs> yeah. Um, what else would he? I mean. There's, there's, <laughs> You could also go, and there's also, like, you know, the stereotypical Italian direction. We could, You could promise to make him, like, I don't know, marinara sauce? Like, is that is that, like, an upgrade on ketchup, even, that he can't have now? Nah, I, I mean, you know, I, if it was, like, stereotypically Italian, he'd, like, offer him, like, I don't know, like, nice, like, hide 
high fashion stuff or a nice sports car or something. I don't know. We really need Barty from the Extra Inch to answer that. So like um, a, like like rich Corinthian leather Tom Brady jersey or something like that. Yeah, like, something like that. You know, like really expensive like dog collars for his dogs. What are, what is dog? Aren't his Russell dogs like Russell and Brady or something like oh, that? God. Yes, you're you're right. That is exactly what his dogs are named. I forgot how stupid that was. Um, I don't know. I, I just he, honestly the thing the out, the outrageous thing he has to promise Harry Kane is Champions League football. So like, let's get to work on that, Antonio. <laughs> the outrageous thing he's promising him is like he will sign Harry Kane to play for Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I promise we'll get another midfielder that can pass the ball, so you don't have to do it all the time. Yeah. Do you do you want us to sign another midfielder, Harry, or would you like me to like pay Tom Brady to be your life coach? <laughs> Yeah, there, there you go. That that's probably something that is like he'll he'll make Tom Brady a assistant coach on the staff or something. Uh, our next question comes from Hunter, who just says, "How about Crystal Palace? I mean, how about them? They're pretty good. Go, go Palaces. Go Eagles. Fighting Palaces. Fighting Eagles. Yep. AFC um, Richmond. It's a lot. It's a lot more fun when they're not doing it to us. Yeah, it is. Um, it's nice to see them do that to someone else. You're right." Um, I'm not going to answer this. I just want to point out uh, um, Harsh Mishra uh, at Simply Wink. He wants to know which Spurs player would sell Stone Cold's cutter the best. Now, first of all, it's a stunner, and I, th- I believe Stone Cold is in the right to call it a stunner because he is the greatest wrestler of all time. And the answer is Eric Dyer. Um, is it though? Well, Delhi's why, not here. Why wouldn't it? Why would it be Eric Dyer? I just feel like Eric Dyer would buy into it. I feel like Eric Dyer would buy into it. Like he would get a sponsorship from WeWork. He would like, you know, he would he would want to be laid out so he's showing it off. I mean, the other thing is, if we're being honest, who's gonna sell a wrestling move the best? Like I mean Regulon probably. Like, I mean he, he sells injuries a lot. He's very dramatic. Like you know, one one of our Italian or, or, or Spanish players, and I think Regulon is certainly the most demonstrative. I think if Eric Lamella was still here, he'd do a great job with it. Yeah, I think that's the key is, like, who's the best diver? And so it's like, you know, we don't have Deli Alley. We don't have Eric Lamella anymore. Um, so I think Dyer you know, would be into it the most. Like, you know, he's got that Chuck Liddell haircut. He seems like he'd be into things from the late 90s. Yeah, but I think Dyer He's a caveman, more- so he'd be into pro wrestling, you know. But I think Dyer would be much more into MMA and taking, like, actual hits as opposed to, like, acting fake hurt after a fake... Yeah, but MMA guys love Stone Cold, so, you know. That is true. Um, But Eric Dyer also really loves his boss, so I don't know if he, like, identifies with the Stone Cold ethos that much. That's fair. Uh, um, Yeah, I think think Regulon is a good choice. I think... Um, I would, I would most like to see Harry Winks get stunned, but I don't know how well he would sell it. Um, yeah, I would enjoy that a lot. I don't think he would, I think he would fall over like Vince did though. So yeah, yeah. I said we were going to answer this and we've given it quite a lot of time, but it's called a stunner. Don't call it a cutter. I think underratedly Galini would sell it. I think Um, Galini would be really into it. Yeah, I agree. He would be very enthusiastic about it. Yeah, And he would have like a ridiculous Italian rapper costume. On and it would be it would be very good I think yeah yeah got to got to get Stone Cold to a house show in uh what, where is it Bergamo where where does where does Atlanta play I, I can't remember yeah. okay um next up we have uh, from John Howick he wants to know how do we as Americans how do we feel about England's Harry Kane facing the U.S. Men's National Team in the uh, World Cup I I don't know um you know I'm kind of dismissive of England as a national team because between the way Southgate sets them up and just sort of, like, their history. But, like, I don't know. They're probably pretty dangerous and are going to, like, be a tough game for us to play in. But I'm not, like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm very up for it. I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, I'm very dismissive of the American national team. Just, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, like, I don't – I have no – I don't care about it. Uh, I mean, look, when it comes time to care about it, I will care very much. But like right now, I have yes. Zero I think that's about yes. It. I just I'm I'm happy we're back in the World Cup, and I'm trying not to frankly th- think too hard about the World Cup and where it's going to be and who's running it. So yeah, I mean, you know, look on the day after Thanksgiving, this in 2022, I will care very much about the result. But like until then, I don't. I, I'm not going to waste any energy thinking about it. 
Our final question comes from a uh, noted pro wrestling fan, Unfit for Purpose. He wants to know which Spurs players do you feel the need to apologize to the most, and why is it Ben Davies? Uh, yeah, I mean, Ben Davies probably deserves it the most. We've said some very nasty things about him on this podcast. Eric Dyer's like right there. I mean, I think we have probably both metaphorically and explicitly called for both of these men to be turned into glue um, at various points over the last several years. So, I mean, I think we certainly owe that to them. I probably owe an apology to Lewis Holtby because I've said some very nasty things about him over the years. All justified. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think he's probably deserved it. So, yeah, I'd say Davies or Dyer, like, probably Davies. Like, Dyer at least would, like, have his moments of, like, confidence, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh Harry Kane apology, like a personal apology. I don't know Harry Kane shit. Like that was, you know, that was a nasty summer last I year. Know. Like, um, yeah, I it's, I mean, we owe like Winks an apology, but not because he deserves it, just because like we've been mean to him. Um, and so if we were like trying to be good people and put good vibes into the universe, we would apologize to him. But he's garbage, so that's not worth it. Um, so yeah, Ben Davison. I mean, you owe Ryan Mason an apology, right? No, I definitely don't. You don't. You don't. You don't feel like you are you are partially to blame for his career prematurely ending. No, you, you know that like you spoke that into the being, Brian. After he left, and so like I have no responsibility for that. Um, we probably do owe like Oliver Skip small apology. Um, just because we were kind of down on him at the beginning of the year. You know what, though? Um, like, on the one hand, like, I, you're absolutely right. We were way more skeptical of him than we should have been. Um, other Spurs fans believed in him, and they were right. On the other hand, he looks like a Tintin character. So, like, you know, I, I think we're a little bit justified in being skeptical of and him. And also, we had to deal with Harry Winks for years, so we've been burned before. Like, we weren't going to make that same mistake. It really did feel like we were doing that all over again. It was like the Ryan Mason, Harry Winks experience. But you know what? Turns out, totally unfair. And, you know, honestly, you might owe the biggest apology to Tom Carroll. Look, just because I wrote something that has almost surely been posted in his locker by teammates over the years (laughs) doesn't mean... I mean, I probably do owe an apology. Like, I don't know. The, the fact that there were, like, Swansea fans asking, like, for real on Reddit about his, does does Tom Carroll have a drug abuse problem because of a very dumb thing I wrote once about Tom Carroll being a Panamanian drug lord. You know, yeah, I probably do owe Tom Carroll an apology. Yeah, we'll, we'll just say current Spurs, definitely Ben Davis. For sure. Yes, and, and he seems like a lovely man. So, you know, like, honestly, like, I don't know why I'm getting serious for a second here, but, like, Davies has been such a joy to watch under Conte. Like, that went from, like, I don't know what we're doing on that side of the pitch to, like, like he's he's reliable. I mean, he's had a few... I mean, compared to what he did, bef- like, when he, we were still playing in a left back or when Mourinho would occasionally trot him out as a center back. I mean, just completely reliable. Like, fun when he gets forward. I don't know how that happened because it's not like he has... He never had pace, but... I mean, just you it's know, one of those, it's one of those weird things where you're right. He's completely solid, but at the same time, he's probably the easiest player to upgrade or hit him in the wingbacks in terms of like how could you improve this team? Like if you added a, a you know another, you, you're not going to find another Romero, but you know if you added a really good center back who had a little bit more of an aerial presence and could also do some of the ball progression stuff that Davies did, this team would be a little bit better. But if we had Davies as his backup, like, you know, that would be like one of the problems we have with this team right now is there's a lot of position. You don't feel great about like plan B. If, if Ben, if we have a guy who's good enough to make Ben Davies or plan B, like that's awesome. Like that would be great. Especially because Davies will probably be more rested. You know. Yeah, and then you, you also have this cover for left wing back if you like get in real a real bind or something like that. Like, you know, I, I yeah, I but absolutely Ben Davis has been uh under under Conte has been a whole new guy and and is, has been really steady, really solid. Um and it makes and you think that like some really spectacular stuff too. And it makes you think, like again, getting into the apology, like a lot of the problems we had with him, like turns out not his fault. Like, if he was just being used correctly, it probably would have been fine. Yep. So, Ben... Sorry, ben. ben. on behalf of Brian and Ben, Elder Ben and everyone else, we're, we're sorry. We're, we're really sorry, Ben. 
yeah, so that's it. That, those, those are some fun questions. Uh, I think it's time to wrap it up. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast at Wheeler Dealer. Uh, or, don't forget to follow our podcast. Oh, see, I almost got there. I'm curious who, who's going to point this out to me. I wonder who's still listening at this point. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Leave us a nice review on iTunes because I thought this was a good one. And uh, for Brian, for Ben Davies, Lewis Holtby, and everyone else we should have apologized to, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.